Welcome to the ABA Journal Legal Rebels podcast, where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us into the future. Hi, I'm Stephanie Francis-Ward, a senior writer with the ABA Journal. Today, I'm speaking with Ed Walters and Phil Rosenthal, the founders of the legal research company FastCase. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us, Stephanie. Of course. So you guys founded FastCase in 1999. There was, and there still are, some pretty significant players in the legal research field. What motivated you to start FastCase? Well, we saw there was an enormous problem that people just could not afford access to the law on the one hand, even lawyers. You know, we, Ed and I were attorneys at Covington and Burling, and we realized that you know, we had a Fortune 5 client that was complaining about the cost of legal research and wondered what would the rest of us do, and then what about all the solo practitioners? And so first there was this horrible access to justice problem where lawyers and certainly the general public could not even get to the law. And, and the second thing is we we realized that research was just too hard, that the technology that folks used elsewhere wasn't available in legal research. And so we, we started the company with a twofold mission, that we wanted to democratize the law and we wanted to make legal research just much smarter. And were you thinking, I mean, I think the time is important here in 1999. So much changed in 1999 in terms of businesses embracing the internet. I mean, I I remember being a baby reporter and we all had to share like one screen that was hooked up with Westlaw and we had to use DOS and God forbid we spent too much money because our publisher would come down and yell at us. I mean, it wasn't fun. (laughs) But then, you know, and now we have Google. Of course, certainly you still need legal research sites. You know, we have Pacer, we have Pacer Pro. Did you have a sense that year that the way we research case law was going to change a lot going forward. Yeah, I think so. It, you know, it's funny. Um, in retrospect, things are, were kind of in 1999 exactly the way they are today. Back then, you had a lot of money chasing around some pretty silly ideas on the internet. Still true today. You had uh, kind of baked in uh, legal publishing incumbents. Still true today. Uh, Pacer today looks exactly the way it did back then. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, there was a major problem in locking down public law in 1999. And it's still true today. So, you know, it's funny when Phil and I kind of look back over 17 years in this business, I think we're very proud of the work we've done to democratize the law. Uh, we're very proud of what we've done to work with state bar associations to make legal research free to more than 800,000 people now through their bar association. And we're very proud of, you know, how much we've changed the way legal research works, doing cool things like citation analysis or data visualization to make the process new again. And as as proud as we are of the work we've done, I think it's hard to look at those facts and not conclude we're almost exactly where we were. There's so much work left to do. You know, in so many ways, 2016 looks too much like 1999. So I'm very gratified, and I know Phil is too, of all the work our team has done and our partners have done to advance those goals. But man, there's so much more work to do. How have you gone about building your business going along? And you mentioned with your partners, and you can tell me a bit about that. How have you gone about competing and building up FastCase? Yeah, I think it was a different 
model that many use. It wasn't the build it fast and try to flip it. We really were trying to make a long-term change in the market. Uh, Ed alluded to the, our bar partners, our state and local bar partners. They share our mission of democratizing the law. And so they played a huge role in our success in the early years and right through today, partnering with us, getting fast case out to, in fact, now two-thirds of the lawyers in America. So folks really do have access to great legal research to do pro bono work, address access to justice problems. So that was a big part. Uh, I think we focused really early on in mobile and having the first apps for iPhone and Android and iPad. And that, I, I think, also did so much to uh, just make legal research accessible to people in the ways that they need it and also put us on the map in very important ways. And now we're we're focused like a lot of folks about on, on the big data analytics piece of legal research, just continuing to focus on the technology side. Uh, maybe I can add something to that too, Stephanie. So, you know, of all the ways that 1999 is like 2016, there are some big differences. So it's so much easier today to fund a legal tech company than it was in 1999, 2000, 2001. Back then, legal tech was considered decidedly unsexy. Nobody wanted to fund legal tech. You know, Phil and I took the idea of Fastcase around to get funding with a lot of people, and, you know, nobody was funding legal technology back then. And one of the things that we hope to do, maybe this, you know, kind of fits in with the Trailblazers theme, is we would really like to be a good example of a established legal tech company that really makes it go to make it easier for new innovators to come into the market uh, and to show you can have these great legal tech success stories without, you know, a quick flip or without, you know, some catastrophic, you know, loss or running out of money or something. We really want to show that there is a path to success for legal tech companies and make it easier for that next generation of companies to compete, to raise money, to have, you know, uh, at least a success story they can point to and say, that's the kind of company we want to be. Okay. What would you say for technology, what has been like the biggest development for your business? Has it been the development of smartphone technology, the apps? What do you think? So I, I think mobile was a big driver for Fastcase. We've really pioneered some cool stuff here with citation analysis, with using the kind of network of citations to really inform search, to move beyond keyword search and find things that you would miss just using the citation relationships. Data visualization is really big. But uh, I think the most important kind of legal tech innovation for us hasn't really been about tech at all. I think the most important development for us was uh, really Phil's work with state bar associations. Uh, our state bar associations really put us on the map. The idea that a state bar association would purchase a subscription to legal research for all of the members of the bar and to make access to legal information, you know, kind of a fundamental understood right for lawyers in a state so that people don't win or lose cases based on who has the most money so that innocent defendants don't go to jail for lack of access to the law. So, you know, wealthy defendants who are guilty are able to be prosecuted by overburdened prosecutor staff. There's no way we could have done that without the partnership of state bar associations. I would add to that too, uh, 
partnership with state bar associations and law librarians. Law librarians have been our allies from the very first day. The first person we told that we were leaving Covington and Burling was our law librarian at the firm, Roberta Schaefer. And law librarians have always given us great ideas for how to make Fast Case better, what things they would like to see, and you know we've built those in over the years. So it's kind of funny, as a tech company, you always want to point to some kind of transformational technology, and certainly uh, mobile apps and citation analysis and data visualization have been good technologies for us. But the secret for us has really been relationships. It's been the partnerships that we've formed over the years. Uh, and I think that's really important. You know, there are people in this industry who are very transactional, and you know, I, I just don't think that's a recipe for success. We've seen so much more success in working collaboratively with very smart people who are committed to the profession and over the long term. Okay. We seem to be hearing more about publishing rights for state law. That tends to come up a little bit more in the past couple of years. What are your thoughts on that issue? Well, we've always been strong advocates, as you can imagine, from our mission that we want to democratize the law, that the law is owned by all of us, that no private publisher, no entity other than the full public can claim that they own any bit of the law. And it's so critical for people who need access to it so they can understand the law. It's critical for uh, innovation that people can bulk download and have uh, access to legal material so that we can create better things for the public. And there's some, a lot, I may add, uh, you can comment that we actually ended up involved in some litigation on this very issue about can a publisher own the law? Yeah. So, you know, we said at the top that our goals at FastCase were to democratize the law. And, you know, that's really important to us. There's a major access to justice crisis in America. There are some, you know, 80% of people with legal problems who are bypassing the legal services system altogether, who aren't going to lawyers for their problems. And this is a crisis. You know, we can't solve it all by ourselves, but democratizing the law, making sure that, you know, lawyers have very high quality and affordable access to legal information is a start. It's a place where we can play a part in solving that access to justice problem. You know, if you build skyscrapers, you really want a vibrant steel industry. And for people who build legal research software, you really need to have a vibrant environment around legal information. In 1999, uh, legal information was really going through these choke points. You really couldn't get good access to it outside of a couple of big traditional legal publishers. And the internet promised to change that. It sort of felt like we were at the cusp of an era of open law because the internet would, you know, kind of make that information much easier and less expensive for states to publish. And in some ways, we're still at that crossroads today. In some ways, law is much more open and more available than it ever was. But in other ways, there are still lots of threats to claim private copyrights in public law. And that's why in the beginning of this year, when we were threatened with a lawsuit, when LawWriter, the parent company of Casemaker, threatened to sue us for using the Georgia regulations, we said this is an important place for us to stand up. 
You know, we've, we've said this time and again, who owns the law? The American people do. It is not individual publishers who own the law. And publishers can't lock down private rights for public law, which is in the public domain. This was a place that it was important for us to stand up. And so instead of waiting to be sued, instead of caving to a demand of a competing publisher, we basically said, look, we're going to sue in federal court in Atlanta. And we're going to ask a federal district court judge to say out loud what everyone knows. Public law is public. It's in the public domain. It's owned by everybody. And our completely legal use of the Georgia regulations can make us subject to lawsuit. And this is a principle we want to establish for ourselves and for everybody else, right? We want the court to say this not just for fast case, but for every legal tech startup out there that wants to make public use of public law. They shouldn't have to ask pretty please. They shouldn't have to be subject to the chilling effects of litigation. They should always know, and federal courts should tell them, it is completely okay to use public law in a public way. That's the way forward. That's one solution to uh, a corner of the access to justice problem. And it doesn't have to go that way. This is not inevitable. If people don't stand up, if people don't make the right decisions, if the courts don't make the right decisions, you know, we could very easily end up in a path where private publishers lock down in copyright or with contracts more and more of the public law. We could end up with less innovation instead of more. So this is our chance to stand up. This is a place where we're saying, you know, we're going to invest time and money and really try to establish that principle that public law belongs to the public and not to private publishers. All right. Well, thank you both for being on the show. Thank you, Stephanie. We are so delighted to be named Trailblazers. This is a really cool honor for us. So thank you so much for including us. And I second that. There's so many wonderful people in this profession, in this industry, where we're just honored to be a part of it and to be selected. Absolutely. Well, it looks like we've reached the end of another episode of the ABA Journal's Legal Rebel Trailblazers podcast series. Thank you for listening. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalRebels.com, LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download the free apps from ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.